0: Good morning, morning. Acts chapter 19, we'll pick up where we uh, left off last time in the book of Acts. For those of you that are visiting, we have been going verse by verse through this wonderful book, the uh, theme of which is found in Matthew, where Jesus says, I will build my church. And we've been seeing him do it verse by verse, chapter by chapter. It's a wonderful thing. And he continues to do it. To this day you know i know that because i look out and see some smiling faces that know jesus he's continuing to build his church and will until he brings the church home to himself in the rapture and then if you don't know jesus you're going to be left behind so i trust that you won't leave today without making a decision acts 19 uh, now if you were privy to the preaching schedule you would know that it said today we, we would begin in acts chapter 20 but as you notice, we're not. The reason being <clears throat> that the previous preacher, who shall remain nameless, <laughs> but his initials are Don Robertson, <laughs> uh, decided to imitate Paul, and he stayed a little longer in Ephesus. <laughs> I cleared that with Don before I said that. Okay, so. So we will pick up here in uh, Acts chapter 19. And uh, we'll read the first section. Just to look ahead, we're going to look at two meetings in our uh, section today. One uh, in chapter 19 and then one in chapter 20. <clears throat> we'll read about the first one here beginning in verse 21 of Acts 19. When these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. So he sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a time. And about that time, there arose a great commotion about the way. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Diana, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. He called them together with the workers of similar occupation and said, man, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. Moreover, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. Imagine that. So not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worship. Now, when they heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. So the whole city was filled with confusion and rushed into the theater with one accord. Now, this would be an outside amphitheater. When you Don't think of one with a marquee and Star Wars showing inside. This is outside. Into the theater with one accord, having seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, Paul's travel companions. And when Paul wanted to go into the people, The disciples would not allow him then some of the officials of asia who were his friends sent to him pleading that he would not venture into the theater some therefore cried one thing and some another for the assembly was confused and most of them did not know why they had come together and they drew alexander out of the multitude the jews putting him forward and alexander motioned with his hand and wanted to make his defense to the people But when they found out that he was a Jew, all with one voice cried out for about two hours, great is Diana of the Ephesians. And when the city clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, men of Ephesus, what man is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple guardian of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Zeus? Therefore, since these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly. For you have brought these men here who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of your goddess. Therefore, if Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a case against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you have any other inquiry to make, it shall be determined in the lawful assembly. For we are in danger of being called in question for today's uproar, there being no reason which we may give to account for this disorderly gathering. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. Meeting number one. Now, uh, my Bible has uh, titled The Riot at Ephesus. You probably have something like that. Now, it didn't happen suddenly. In other words, we saw this coming, if you remember, from the way way things had already been going from Paul's preaching in uh, Asia Minor. By the way, go ahead and look at your map so you know where we are. We're in Ephesus, right there on the coast. You got that? Yes? A few heads nod there. Okay, good. That's where we are. And um, if you look back just three verses before we started reading, we we really saw this kind of demonstration coming. Look at verse 17. Uh, This became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many who had believed came, confessing and telling their deeds. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. Paul had been in Ephesus now for uh, close to two and a half years, and uh, God had really blessed his ministry. And it's getting so effective that it's actually having uh, an effect on on the population. And so you saw these magicians for example bringing their books and and burning them lives are changed that happens by the way when jesus comes into a life and here the change is so great that not only are individual lives being changed but the whole society is being changed in particular uh the um sale of idols is is uh drying up and uh that's great spiritually speaking but for business it's not so hot and that's why demetrius and his friends are so upset (laughs) So uh, Demetrius comes and he gets a few of his uh, fellow smiths together and, and uh, raises this ruckus. One thing uh, it's interesting to note that in Ephesus, they had once a year a big celebration for the, for the goddess Diana. There was this huge temple in the middle of Ephesus. It was known throughout the Roman Empire and people would come from all over the Roman Empire once a year to these games that were held in her honor and feasts and festivals and, and whatnot now think about it you've come from rome or uh caesarea or alexandria you know somewhere far away to this place you've heard about this huge temple with this image of this goddess diana in the middle of it you go there you know you take some pictures and you say wow i'd like to have uh, a souvenir of this place well that's where demetrius and his friends come in because they made these images that you could take home is not that cool and apparently the images of the goddess look just like the big one in the temple. So you could take it home and set it up on your mantle there. You could even get a little model of the temple if you wanted and set the little idol in there. And uh, they had a very uh, lucrative trade going in in this in these idols. Well, The problem is <clears throat> Paul has been preaching the truth. Go back to Acts 17 real quick. We'll look at one verse. And I would assume he's been saying this over and over again. He said this in Athens uh, earlier on one of his earlier missionary journeys. Acts 17, verse 29. Paul is preaching to the idolatrous Gentiles here. And what is he saying? Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Okay? So he's been saying that and uh, them's fighting words here in ephesus okay they don't want to hear that kind of stuff because it's going to cut into the idol business so they have a uh uh, a meeting so to speak which turns basically into a, a riot okay well um in his argument here demetrius says a very interesting thing he complains in verse 26 he says paul is saying that they are not gods which are made with hands is that true huh? oh i think you're in doubt things that are made with hands are they gods or not no and uh and yet he was living in an era when people believed that and now he's beginning to uh get through and they and they're understanding that the interesting thing is that gods we make with our own hands they're convenient you know because they're harmless isn't that true you make a god with your own hand all of a sudden now i hate to say it, you're the god (laughs) and the god you can make him however you want you know you design the god so that he accommodates you isn't that nice isn't it nice to have a god like that that you design huh we're going to talk about that in a minute because people still do it today but people, to this very day, are uncomfortable with the God who made me, aren't they? Why is that? It's because we're accountable to that God. And so we'd rather have a God that we make, and then we can design him so he doesn't uh, interfere with our lives, you know? That's, that's a comfortable kind of a God. And uh, as I was going through this section, I couldn't help but think, you know, the Bible has some wonderful humor in it a lot of people don't know that uh and some of the best humor is written when god takes on the idols in the old testament and the prophets i'm just going to read some quotes to you listen to these they are wonderful and how he mocks the idea that a person can go out and shape something from wood or silver and expect it to do something for him listen to this this is from jeremiah god is speaking he says for one cuts a tree from the forest the work of the hands of the workmen. This is a key phrase, by the way, hands. It talks about the hands of the people making it. With the axe, they decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with nails and hammers so that it will not topple. They are upright like a palm tree and they cannot speak. They must be carried because they cannot go by themselves. is this good? Do not be afraid of them for they cannot do evil nor can they do any good isn't that good and then in isaiah he says this the blacksmith with the tongs works an idol in the coals fashions it with hammers, and works it with the strength of his arms you get the satire there the strength comes from this man he's stronger than the idol (laughs) even so he that is the the blacksmith he is hungry and his strength fails he drinks no water and is faint if that's the uh position of the guy that made the idol what's the idol like the craftsman stretches stretches out his rule he marks one with chalk he fashions it with a plane he marks it out with a compass and makes it like the figure of a man according to the beauty of a man so that it may remain in the house you, you get that People don't want images of lizards and dragons in their house, you know. But you get a man up there, oh, that's acceptable. Of course, the other problem is that he remains in the house. He doesn't go anywhere unless you carry him. He cuts down cedars for himself and takes the cypress and the oak. He secures it for himself among the trees of the forest. So you're going through the forest, you're looking for just that right tree, you know. To make a really good idol. Uh, he plants a pine tree. And the rain nourishes it. You got that? Where's the rain come from? The true and living God. You see, Isn't that good? Then it shall be for a man to burn. For he will take some of it, that is his pine tree or whatever, and warm himself. Yes, he kindles it and bakes bread. Indeed, he makes a god and worships it. He makes it a carved image and falls down to it. He burns half of it in the fire. With this half, he eats meat. He roasts the roast and is satisfied. He even warms himself and says, Ah, I am warm. I have seen the fire. Now, the satire in this part is that the half of the wood that got burned is more useful than the half that he made into an idol. He got warm and he cooked the meat on it. Isn't that good? And the rest of it he makes into a god, his carved image. He falls down before it and worships it, prays to it and says, deliver me for you are my god isn't that good you're not going to read any better satire in literature now i know you're sitting there saying yeah idols that's uh, in the old days or that's in primitive cultures today we don't do that anymore do we well first of all um you go into some uh buddhist homes catholic homes you ever heard of a dashboard jesus dashboard mary you know little idols that people pray to but beyond that uh, any listen to this now listen carefully any version of god apart from the bible where god reveals himself is an idol because it's a god of our making Do you understand that any version of god apart from the bible is a is a god of our own making we designed that god and it's an idol ah we have idols today don't we now i'm not talking about necessarily having physical idols but certainly designed by the mind i had an idol i had a a false god before i got saved i probably started with the god that i kind of heard about from the bible but then i i tailored it to my own needs haven't you ever done that huh people do it today i i will bet that there are people in this room that are living that way right now you have your own version of god he's a comfortable god he doesn't want to interfere with your lifestyle you know you just do what you want he's happy as long as you're happy he's designed by you now let me say there's a fatal problem with that imagine having this kind of an approach to other things in life in other words uh if if you think hard enough that something is true it's going to become true for example wouldn't it be nice you know uh we need to have food to eat and i would really like to be able to go down load up a couple of baskets and just cart them out to my car and not have to pay for them wouldn't that be nice and you could you could think that that would be right and hope so and then you could go act on it and roll the groceries out to your car without paying and it gonna work, is it? Because you're gonna run up against brutal reality that says if you're gonna take something out of a store, you don't do that until you pay for it. Now you can wish and hope it was otherwise all you want to and that's not gonna change it. You still have to pay for your groceries. We know that. See, we don't try this crazy approach in everyday life we only do it with god isn't that interesting or here's another one you're you're driving down a two-lane road and you say you know i'm tired of having to stay on the right side of this dotted line all the time would not it be nice just to be able to drive right down the middle Huh? now you can go ahead and <clears throat> convince yourself that that's good it's okay you know you'll have a lot more room but you try it and it may have fatal consequences you see we come up again to harsh reality there you better stay on the right side or you're going to have problems and so we just do that and yet the funny thing is when it comes to knowing god and finding out who god is we somehow go away in a corner and we think about now what would i like god to be like and you know it evolves over years my god evolved during my lifetime i didn't become a christian until i was 24 years old and and we we wish and hope this God would be like this, and we convince ourselves that that's the way it is. It did look. It didn't work with the groceries, and it didn't work with the car, and it doesn't work with God. Here's what you need to do: you need you need to let God be who He is, and find out who He is before it's too late. You see, that's idolatry. That's what these guys were doing with the silver and the wood and the stone and that's what people still do to this day. People have not changed a bit. People want to move in and if they think real hard that God is another way, you know, the way I want him to be, then I'm okay. <clears throat> There's another element here too, by the way. Did you know that um, particularly in the United States, but in a lot of Western cultures, we're polytheists. It Poly- means many gods. Did you know that? Here's what happens. We do like I did and kind of formulate this idea of a false god the way we want him. But deep down inside, it's the Bible says God created eternity in our hearts. There's an infinite vacuum in your heart. And the only one that can fill it is the real, true and living God. And so when we, when we invent these fake gods that we're happy with, they can't fill this vacuum. And so we try to fill it with other things. You know what it is? It may blow you away, when you, but it's real when you think about it. The world has a whole pantheon of gods. They're called celebrities. You know that? You don't believe me, do you? Celebrities. People take rock stars, singers, movie stars, sports figures. I don't care who they are. And guys and gals picture these people as somehow a cut above everybody else you know in fact they kind of assign to them a a kind of a perfection you know everything they say and do makes the headlines you know that you know what if you took out all of the reports about celebrities in the magazines the newspaper you wouldn't have a lot left some people's whole lives revolve around what do they say he she is my what idol that's not an accidental phrase i worship them yeah you see, we have to have someone that we can imagine is greater and and perfect, you know, than we are. And when we will not give the true and living God His right place there, then we have to fill it with something, and it's celebs, celebrities. And the most interesting ones to me, I, uh, in this day and age, with Hollywood and mo- movie stars, are the ultimate gods. And if you, and if you only knew, movie stars, they're just like you and me probably worse (laughs) but people see somebody up on the on the screen you know and they just they always say the exact right thing and they do the right thing the perfect thing you know and they look so cool you know why they spent two hours in makeup and you know why they say the right thing because some screenwriter sat down for months laboring over the lines that they were going to say until they got it just right and then when the actor actors got up there to say these lines they didn't get it right the first time they had to do another take and another take until you know it's just right and then you gullibly go into the movie house and see this perfect person up there and they become a god and they have feet of clay and they can't help you any more than these gods of wood and stone. Now, those are gods made with hands. That's that's the key, made with hands. We make them, you see. That's fatal? That's not a god? Listen to this. I love this quote from Isaiah. This is talking about God. God speaks, he says this. Thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, and his maker. Ask me of things to come concerning my sons and concerning the work of my hands. You command me. I have made the earth and created man on it. I, my hands stretched out the heavens and all their hosts I have commanded. Now, there's a God. That's God. That's the real God. That God can save, by the way. Think about it. Do you know this God? You can only know him through Jesus Christ. Well, Demetrius gets up and he makes this noble speech sounds like it's uh he has a problem with theological truth but we really get to the core of it here in verse 27 when he says so not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute forget everything else he says it's the business that he's upset about you see and uh, as i thought about this <clears throat> how uh, the preaching of paul and the and the salvation of souls has literally changed the the society there in modern day turkey uh it reminded me of the stories of revivals that have taken place through the centuries you ever heard about revivals i don't mean pretend real ones god has really moved in a great way occasionally like every century or so in some part of the earth in 1904 1905 for example in wales there was a real revival <clears throat> and the reason i want to point this out is because the same thing happened it was such a movement of god among people that the society literally got changed let me let me explain Uh, i'll just read the middle of a quote here that describes what happened there was it started in a church it was a big church building and it was basically empty but they had a prayer meeting and they began to pray that god would do something in their midst and uh, he began to work in a great way and within a couple of weeks, here's here's the, here's the what happened. Um, it says, next day, after this second Sunday, every grocery shop in the, this little industrial valley, it's out in the middle of nowhere in Wales, okay, was emptied of groceries by people attending the meetings. And on Sunday, every church was filled. The movement went like a tidal wave over Wales. In five months, there being 100,000 people converted throughout the country now when you hear that number you have to be a little skeptical you know skeptical and i am too so somebody followed up on it there was a skeptic uh jv morgan who followed up on it and he tried to debunk it that is prove that it was a bunch of hooey and he wrote a book and his criticism was that out of that hundred thousand people five years later only seventy five thousand were still going to church that's pretty good not bad huh uh but here's the social impact i was talking about for example uh judges no longer had cases to try in this little area of wales there were no robberies no burglaries no rapes no murders no embezzlements nothing in fact the district councils held emergency meetings listen to this to discuss what to do with the police now that they were unemployed (laughs) sorry tom we all want to pray for revival but tom and angelo that's incredible isn't it the police have nothing to do it really affected the society Uh, there was financial effect as it swept wales drunkenness was cut in half and so as a result there were bankruptcies and they were almost all taverns is that interesting the pubs just shut down but here's the killer Um, the coal mining business began to suffer you say why would the coal mining business suffer i mean these guys still if they're christians they better work right if any man will not work let him not eat they were working the problem was they pulled the uh, coal in these carts with horses and when before they were saved these men would uh command the horses to do things using shall i say colorful language they swore okay well they're not swearing anymore and it was, it was a true thing. The horses didn't know what to do. <laughs> no. You know, this Welsh guy who would use some, a bunch of expletives deleted to try to get the horse to turn left or right, he'd say left or right now, and the horse doesn't understand him. And so there was an actual downturn in uh, the coal business. Illegitimate births dropped by almost a half within a year that's what the gospel can do we need to pray for revival in the bay area huh wouldn't that be great see the bay area become a place like this oh man okay well uh as i said verse 28 now a common tactic uh, among people and i was like this before i was a christian is to hope and 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 think and to say that the contrary is true and if you if you believe it hard enough, you know if you're sincere enough, maybe it'll become true. And so that's why I love this, this chant they took up. It's not clear what they expect to accomplish, but all of a sudden they start crying out, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Isn't that good? You see, I guess they figure they say it loud enough and long enough, it'll come true. I, I can't count the number of people now that I've witnessed to who say something like, Well, I don't believe in hell ever heard that i don't believe in hell does that make hell go away huh no (laughs) you can hope and think and say it all you want it's very real it's in the bible or if there is a hell i'm not going there is that going to make it true no well they're saying great is diana the ephesians if they say it loud enough and long enough maybe it'll become true well, uh, there are two interesting, very interesting words here in verse 29 that describe this meeting that takes place. It says, so the whole city was filled with confusion and rushed into the theater with one accord, having seized certain friends of Paul. The two words are confusion and accord or agreement. Isn't that interesting? You normally don't find those two together. You see, there's confusion because uh, it says later in verse 32, some therefore cried one thing, and some another for the assembly was confused there's that word again in describing this meeting god uses that word several times confusion and yet at the same time there was agreement the agreement was no matter what we all believe we want paul out of here and we don't want that gospel preached anymore they all agreed on that okay but beyond that they they were all confused is this ever a picture of the world or what huh confusion and agreement we are a world it's like god take the vantage point of god looking down on the earth right now we're a world of isms hinduism mohammedism animism shintoism catholicism evolutionism humanism materialism communism atheism confucianism buddhism that's just a sample Now, all of those isms claim to have a corner on the truth. Some of them overlap a little bit, but most of them are opposed to each other. That's confusion right there. And God sees that as he looks down. Right? Ism. The only problem with an ism is that it isn't. It isn't right. And so if you think about the earth is represented by this meeting there's confusion and yet there's agreement it's amazing to me particularly in this country no matter what people are for and they there's such a spectrum it's all these isms for example they all agree on one thing we don't want jesus isn't that interesting there's a chord on that one boy you know we'll have a meeting we can talk about that all day we agree hundred percent but beyond that it's confusion i have to just mention one of my pet subjects being a scientist as you know uh i'm constantly exposed to evolutionism so are you and it's nothing but confusion really within itself to this very day when it first began uh the evolutionists had the idea that the way you get all the different species is you just kind of gradually evolve you know from an amoeba up to a man somehow the problem is there are there's nothing in between they have we've been looking for 150 years now and there is no evidence at all of anything in between the species you've got horses and you got cows and that's it you don't have any horse cows or t- or tiger lions okay they just don't exist and so they uh begin to abandon that and they said well it doesn't happen that way Mutations. mutations they have these cosmic rays that come in and they hit the dna of of species and all of a sudden, poof, he had this horse and now it's a cow. Well, they don't quite say that. They say the guy had an arm and now he's got a wing, which is just about as bad. Okay. <laughs> Within the evolutionist community, they began to call that theory the hopeful monster. Because they know mutations only create monsters. And it, it later became the hopeless monster. Anyway, there, there are so many theories uh, about how we came to be one of the two men that won the uh nobel prize for discovering unraveling dna francis crick himself believed in a thing called directed panspermia that is some intelligent beings from another planet or another galaxy came and and dropped life here on the planet and then it evolved and they went away the only problem with that is where did they come from <laughs> you haven't answered a thing there so confusion you see even in the evolutionary community, to this very day but they agree on one thing. God did not create the heavens and the earth. Isn't that That's exactly what the Bible says, isn't it? <clears throat> and the and the problem is, as they say this over and over again, <clears throat> God did not create, it evolved, it evolved. Evolution is true, evolution is true. Like great as Diana of the Ephesians, you know. It sounds hollower every day. I'd love to stand up here and talk for hours about the discoveries in microbiology. It's just astounding the level of beauty and uh efficiency and complexity that they're discovering down at the molecular level in life and how it works the word machine is occurring constantly now in the scientific literature machines and uh, motors and levers and doors and stuff like that it's beautiful and it's kind of embarrassing to be standing there and saying yeah look it just kind of accidentally happened as more and more of the design becomes clear Well, uh, as I thought of this, Psalm 2 is a great expression of what's going on. As God looks down on the earth and he sees all these guys running around saying, God didn't create anything. You know, it all just happened. I thought of Psalm 2 where God says this, Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together. Here's the agreement, by the way, against the Lord and against his anointed saying let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us there's the key we will not have this man to rule over that's it it's not they're not after scientific integrity the bottom line is i don't want a god that i'm accountable to and god says that plainly well he says he who sits in the heavens shall laugh the lord shall hold them in derision Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill. Isn't that good? He's talking about the millennium when Jesus, by the way, will physically set on a physical throne in physical Jerusalem and rule over this physical. It's going to happen. He's talking about in the past tense. I have set. He says. I like this uh, phrase at the end of 32. Most of them did not know why they had come together. Isn't that good? And it's true of most people on planet Earth. They don't know why we're here. Isn't it great to have the answer to that question? How many agree with this? We are here to know the true and living God. Amen? And none of that, we know how to do it because we know Him, Jesus Christ. You may wonder about this fellow in verse 33, Alexander. What exactly is going on there? They drew Alexander out of the multitude and Jews putting him forward. And Alexander motioned with his hand and wanted to make his defense to the people. But when they found out that he was a Jew, all with one voice cried out <coughs> for about two hours, great as Diana of the Ephesians. Well, it says the Jews put him forward. And the point is, the Jews knew that they might be identified with Paul because they also taught there was one God and not a bunch of gods. In fact the same god of the bible and they didn't want to be identified with paul you know they didn't want to be on the bad side of demetrius and these other guys and so they for some reason they put for this guy alexander to go out and try to say wait a minute now we're jews and we're not we're not connected with paul at all we want to make that clear <laughs> he didn't get very far did he it says when they found out that he was a jew this is crazy then they started doing it again great as diane of the ephesians This is uh, mob mentality, okay? Because it would also say, if they found out he wasn't a Jew, they would cry out, great is Diana of the Ephesians. It has nothing to do with the fact that he's a Jew. You understand? Can you imagine being in this crowd and chanting for two hours? Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Well, finally, uh, this guy that comes in at the end, he's the city clerk. And if you work carefully, you're ready, you think, wow, he's a good guy he's not okay i'll show you who he represents in a minute notice what he says it's very interesting first of all he says in verse 35 "Um, what man is there who does not know that the city of the ephesians is temple guardian of the great goddess diana you see what he's saying there he's saying we don't have anything to worry about diana is real she's a real goddess the temple means something okay forget what they say about they're not being gods made with hands we're okay you see that he's he is claiming this is interesting he is claiming idolatry to be right and good and correct in fact what does he say here in the next verse therefore since these things cannot be denied whoa you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly this is this guy is the modern scientist you know how many times do you read or hear in the media scientists agree that yes and why do they say it that way oh because if they're scientists they got to be right right and if they agree i mean okay the experts you know and they will turn around and when you find out what they agree on it's not right but because the scientists agree on it's got to be right you know experts agree authorities tell us that blah 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 that phrase is all over the place and the american public the world are gullible enough to believe that even though half the time it's a bold-faced lie and that's what this guy's doing he's just standing up saying who can deny you know that idols are right and we're okay well he's implying nobody so we're okay And so by speaking with a kind of authority, like the scientists, you know, the high priests of today, everybody feels better, and they calm down. They're probably getting tired, too. Imagine chanting for two hours, you know. And he simply quietly dismisses the assembly, and they go their way. (coughs) Okay, that was meeting number one. (coughs) Let's read in chapter 20 now. You may want to get your map out. If you want, you can just listen to me and see if you can follow the uh, route that's described here in the first several verses, and then we'll read about the second meeting in chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, after the uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself, embraced them, and departed to go to Macedonia, upper left on your map. Now, when he had gone over that region and, and encouraged them with many words, he came to Greece. You're not going to see that on your map. It's down below in Achaia where corinth is that's greece you with me and stayed three months so he stayed three months in greece and he most probably stayed in corinth because that was the chief city there there was a church that he had started there he knew many of the believers and when the jews plotted against him as he was about to sail to syria on the far right of your map see that corinth was a great port doesn't look like it on your map look like he's going to go the other direction but it actually it's a narrow neck of land narrow neck of land he was going to take a ship directly from Corinth to Syria. You got that? He decided to return through Macedonia. Why? Because these Jews were plotting. They were going to kill him. They probably already had some guys on the ship he would have taken. So he just went back up through Macedonia the long way. And so Peter of Berea accompanied him to Asia, also Aristarchus and Secundus of the Thessalonians, and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy, Antiochus and trophimus of asia at least there's one familiar name there y'all know timothy right these men going ahead waited for us at troas you see troas across from macedonia up on the top of the coast yes okay paul's not there yet but the other brothers are waiting for him notice by the way us he was saying paul did this and all of a sudden he says this whenever you see that happen in the book of acts it means that luke is now with Paul, so Luke is now, the author of Acts, has now joined Paul. But we, that is Luke and Paul, sailed away from Philippi, up to the left of Troas, after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days joined them at Troas, where we stayed seven days. Okay, now we're at Troas. Everybody with me? So we're working our way back toward uh, Ephesus, by the way, eventually. We're not going to get there this week. So let's see what happens. Uh, verse 7 now on the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread paul ready to depart the next day spoke to them and continued his message until midnight there were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together and in a window sat a certain young man named eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep he was overcome by sleep and as paul continued speaking he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead but paul went down fell on him and embracing him said do not trouble yourselves, for his life is in him. Now when he had come up, had broken bread and eaten, <coughs> and talked a long while, even till daybreak, he departed. And they brought the young man in alive, and they were not a little comforted. Okay, uh, keep your maps, by the way, because we're going to use them in uh, three weeks <coughs> where we pick up again in uh, Acts but uh, just a couple of observations on this second meeting first of all it's interesting uh people say well why do christians meet on sunday well uh, they did in the new testament and here's an example verse seven now on the first day of the week when they came together to break bread so there it is sunday and in fact a uh, very typical sunday very much like ours they broke bread and a brother spoke the word of god to the disciples with one difference he didn't have a clock did you notice that now we don't know when he started uh if it was uh eleven fifteen in the morning <laughs> we're talking about a pretty long meeting even if it began in the evening though he went till midnight when the guy fell out of the window and then he spoke some more until daybreak we're talking over eight hours here isn't that i think that's great these christians come together and paul is preaching and they don't want to go home that's what happened when the spirit gets hold of the believers you know They can't get enough of the word of God. As we're thinking, think about how different this meeting is from the other one. Huh? I was thinking as I read this, you know, uh, Don emulated Paul in Ephesus. Now I'm going to emulate Paul in Troas and speak till midnight. Only kidding. Okay. You may wonder why it says in verse eight that there were many lamps. Well, he's telling us that it was hot in there. How do you you get in a a stuffy room where it's hot and somebody's talking? Right? Yeah, yeah. And it's late. It's probably past this guy's bedtime, you know. And so of all things, we're up three floors. He falls out of the window. It's going to be a mess down there, too. And the amazing thing is that Paul goes down and it's almost like an incidental thing. By the way, Paul raised him from the dead. Can you imagine that? But the thing that really spoke to me was they didn't stop the meeting. Did You notice that? Can you imagine if somebody just keeled over and died here, you know, and one of the brothers went over and stretched himself on him and the guy got up and took a seat again and we just continued the meeting? Huh? But that tells us something. It tells us what God's priorities are, you see. We're all overcome with miracles and signs. Woo, wow, let's talk about it. Man, a guy just died and was raised from the dead. Let's cancel the rest of the day, you know? No. Paul continued to... In fact, they had planned to break bread. So what did they do when Paul brought the guy back up? They broke bread. Can you imagine what that breaking of bread must have been like? You think they were praising God? Huh? Man, what a worship service, huh? And then... When they were done with that, like I said, let's say they started at midnight, give an hour for the meeting. Paul then spoke from 1 to 6 a.m., five more hours, you know, with this formerly dead guy in their midst, no doubt. Probably paying more attention this time, you know? Okay, well, you can't always tie things together in the Bible when you preach, you know, and have a theme. There's really not a theme here, but we can contrast the two meetings. The first one, it's confusion, right? Except for the one agreement let's get jesus out of here i don't want jesus i don't care what the alternative is you know one of many i just do not want jesus to reign over me is that where you are today that's where i was for 24 years and that alternate method my god changed you know as the years went by he had to become more permissive in fact as the years went by for me is that where you're at let me tell you that's not the way to seek god you don't you don't start off and say now what do i want god to be like you know and then you, you come up with these specifications. Okay, this is what God is. That, that's fatal. God is. You need to find out who he is and what he's like and what you have to do with him, more importantly. And that's all in the Bible. Let me just tell you briefly, he is, and it says in Hebrews that he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You've got to seek for him with your whole heart. You can't be half-hearted about it. But if you do that, He promises you'll find Him. And you'll find out that you can only know Him through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, how we thank You for Your Word this morning. Lord, how good it is to have an anchor for our souls. Thank You that You have revealed Yourself, that we can know You. We thank You that it says in Your Word, this is life eternal, that they may know Thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom Thou hast sent. And Lord, as we think of the effect that the preaching of that message of Jesus was having here in Asia in these early days, and we think of the uh, revival that took place, Lord, we think of our own area here, so godless, so uh, foreign, so alien from God. We do pray, Lord, for revival in the Bay Area. Lord, before you come back, we pray that we might taste the sweetness of the moving of the Holy Spirit among us, and we give you all the glory, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.